Gentlemen and other fellow humans, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Picard, Strange New Worlds, Discovery, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by today's panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Hey! And the irrepressible, unconquerable Mr. Cicero Holmes. Uh, Something, something, boys are back in town. Uh, there was a, I was going to present a clone of myself, but I hand wavied my way back to me. So it's just (laughs) good. Good to know. Appreciate it. Um, well, unfortunately Ty is unable to join us tonight and we hope his frustration is limited as he deals with a home maintenance issue, the joy of home ownership, of course, but, uh, hopefully we can welcome Ty back with us next week, but we are very fortunate this evening to be joined by two guests to bolster our panel's discussions for a very eventful episode. First returning to join us once again is the singular creator and host of the YouTube channel Trexpertise, Mr. Kyle Sullivan. Kyle, thanks for joining us again. Hola. I too would like to put my broken pieces back together with bourbon. <laughs> uh, noted, as as our good friend Jim Kirk would say. And uh, also with us tonight is a guest that I think has been a long time coming. Debrief listeners who may be veterans of the Trek FM network will undoubtedly recognize his voice as the host of the Standard Orbit TOS-based podcast. But other fellow superhero fans may recognize him most readily as the host of Always Hold On to Smallville and its succeeding Always Hold On to show network of sorts, Mr. Zach Moore. Zach, thank you for making it on. It's long overdue, but I'm very glad that you're here. Greetings and felicitations. <laughs> Much obliged. Yeah. Well, uh, before we check in with our panelists, Zach, since this is your first time here, uh, if you don't mind, please give us the lowdown on your Trek tastes with your favorite series, your favorite movie, and any other salient details we need to know about you and Star Trek, particularly as we head into the conversation of this episode. All right. Well, I'll try to make this brief because I could go on forever, but <laughs> my. <laughs> Uh, Star Trek fandom. I mean, I'm a Star Trek fan since birth, really. Both my parents were Star Trek fans. I grew up watching original series uh, reruns and tapes. And then Next Generation, I I was born the same year as Next Generation. So that's kind of been my been my Star Trek. I I do claim that as as my Star Trek. Uh, I I say that this is how I this is how I break it down. Like TOS is Star Trek. TNG is like my Star Trek. And Deep Space Nine is the best Star Trek. (laughs) That's how I that's how I roll with it. Uh, yeah. And I, I do love all Star Treks and, and all the iterations to very to various degrees, you know, and uh, I just you know, my favorite era would probably be the original series movie era. I just love that that era of just the the aesthetics, the music, the everything is just like the original series brought up to the quote unquote modern production value at the time. Right. Uh, and I love those movies and, and fa- my favorite movies, you know, this, this has always been something that's unique about me. I like Star Trek three, the best. That's my personal favorite. I love Star Trek three. I think it definitely, I think the odd and even curse is BS. I don't, I don't believe it. I think every original series movie 
is is they're all very unique and great in their own way. And that's really something to be, I mean, you look at all six of those, and they're so different and such a variety of stories they tell uh, and something to be told for just telling episodic movies like that. Right. But the, the, what has been coming known as the Genesis trilogy, right? Two, three, and four. That's got to be the top of my list. That's my favorite. So uh, I, even though TNG is my Star Trek, right? It's like, oh, those three. And then I probably say, you know, First Contact <laughs> is a great movie, too. So I got to throw that one in there. And, and yeah, I just I, I just love Star Trek, man. And I uh, I have had my um, reservations about some of the more modern shows and whatnot. Uh, but definitely Strange New Worlds. And then definitely season three of Picard has really reignited my my Star Trek fan. And I've been very pleased with uh, some of the more recent outings of, of new Star Trek. That's great to hear because, you know, one of the, the final times that I was on Standard Orbit, we talked about what we referred to at the time as Star Trek Enterprise 2, right? With, <laughs> yes. We, we didn't know what Strange New Worlds was going to be called. So that's kind of what we, the, our shorthand for it. And you seemed open to it. Like the show hadn't been confirmed at that point. Mm-hmm. But you also seemed like you had reservations because of what had been happening, I think, at that point in Discovery primarily and sort of what it had been doing with the TOS time frame. But yeah. Strange New Worlds won you over. Yeah. No, I, I think that is the the callback to the older style of, of storytelling that we were all used to with Star Trek and just a more comfortable I don't know. I, I just I just enjoy that show more. It's it's just an, and I think the episodic way is the way to go. And and I, I just for me personally not even like Star Trek or whatever, any other shows. I'm kind of like, I'm kind of story arc fatigued in a lot of things, <laughs> you know? And so having this episodic, oh, nice little adventure. We went to this planet. Some would call it old fashioned quaint storytelling, but I think that's Star Trek is like, you know, it's, it's fables. It's, it's morality plays. It's, this is what we do regularly. So, uh, that, that's, I just responded well to it. And, and my wife likes it as well. We watch it together. So I'm like, that's a huge win. So thank you, Star Trek, yeah. Strange New Worlds. <laughs> no kidding. Well, uh, no, much appreciated. And, and uh, it's a good baseline to operate from. So thank you for giving it to us. Much obliged. Uh, for sure. Let's check in with the, the rest of our panel here. Rachel, how goes your rewatch of The Next Generation? It goes very well. Uh, last night I watched Sarek. Oh, oh, um, Sarek. Yeah. And it has that great part where he's like, illogical, yep. illogical, illogical, which I, <laughs> I use that gif a lot. And so it was nice to be uh, reminded of that. That's a really good episode. There are so many episodes in the third season where I watch them and I'm like, oh, my God, that's a good episode. Like yesterday's Enterprise. After oh, yeah. I watched that, I came out and was just like talking to you about just I was like, oh, it's just so well written. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it's going well. I don't think I've asked you this, but are there any episodes that you, and you, when you do rewatches, you do like full rewatches. You start at the pilot and you end at the series finale. Is there any episode in particular that you're really looking forward to visiting again in the fullness of time? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think I'd like to maybe the, um, the, the one where um, uh, Dr. Crusher uh, has sex with a ghost. Oh, right. Yeah. Because um, I've been a defender of that one. Uh, <laughs> and so I want to see if I still like it because I feel like the last time I watched it, I was like, yeah, it's not bad. Like, <laughs> See, but- that episode freaked me out as a kid, not because of ghost sex, but because of the corpse of her grandmother rising up and apparently ready to destroy Jordy and Data. Like, that's the thing that... <laughs> 
<laughs> still sticks in my craw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it's yeah. not even like it's just like, damn, I wasn't expecting that as yeah. like a six year old. Yeah, so that you're you're gonna look forward to doing that one. Just add the bad ones. The bad ones. There are masks. Ones, yeah, because there, I there was one that I didn't like that I want. One I thought I didn't like, um, where that guy tries to collect data. Oh right, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's and a good I, one. Well, I thought I didn't yeah. like it for some reason, and I walked, I watched it like a couple days ago, and I was like, "That's pretty good." Like, Data was going to kill he, that guy. Yeah, yeah, he was. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I didn't like the guy. I guess. Did like, Data lie at the end mm, of it? Great question. That's it's open ended. You don't know. Yeah. Like he could have, but great guest star. Yeah, yeah. That that one. Yeah, that one's fun. Yeah. Or didn't you recently watch the one where Picard, where Riker was framed for a murder on a station that exploded by? Yeah, I always like that one. Yeah, yeah, that um, one. I, yeah, that's a Riker sode. I like Riker sode. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, um, Cicero, my friend, what do you yeah. want to tell us about things that are going on in your world uh, that relate to Star Trek? Star Trek or generally, I feel like I haven't gotten the chance to talk with you very much. Oh man. Oh, okay. Well, uh, all right. So things that, things that are going on in, in, in my world is I got the, to spend the week listening to our wonderful episode last week, um, featuring, um, my friend and our, now our friend, Ryan McCaffrey. Yeah. Um, and you know, so, uh, thanks Ryan for, for joining and, and, coming and hanging out and nerding out with us and talking Trek. Yes. Um, but also it gave me an opportunity to um, expound upon my feelings about uh, one Captain Liam Shaw. Right. Shared. Um, yeah. Um, and, uh, and by your urging, uh, I tweeted out to Todd Stashwick, the actor who portrays uh, the one and only Captain Liam Shaw. And uh, he liked the tweet. Yeah. Um, talking about our our episode. You um, bared your then soul. I, d- I did. I bared my soul and my love. Yeah. For for Liam Shaw. And uh, hope that it doesn't go unrequited. Um, well, uh, I uh, spent the week doing other things and then realizing that GaryCon, which is a convention that happens in Lake Geneva, uh, Illinois, uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, um, in, and is uh, a celebration of Dungeons and Dragons in the mecca of Dungeons and Dragons, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, the home of Gary Gygax, the creator, one of the creators of Dungeons and Dragons. And this convention has been going on for a long time. If you, if any debrief listeners are familiar with fans of or have attended Gen Con uh, in Indianapolis, the big convention that happens in Indianapolis every year, you would be interested to know that Gen Con originally began in Lake Geneva, Illinois, uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. It was the original Gary Con. And it got too big, and they moved Gen Con from Gary Con to Indianapolis. And Gen Con stands for 
general convention because they couldn't call it GaryCon anymore. Um, and that is, uh, so that is the story of Gen Con and Gary Con. Um, but, uh, I decided to go and go to Gary Con this year for the very first time, um, because I ha- wasn't able to for the last two years because some weird thing happened. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but, uh, one of the people that would be attending is none other than, Todd Stashwick himself, uh, the the actor who portrays Liam Shaw. So I went on a mission to find the guy who is the avatar of my love. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, if anyone knows anything about me in conventions, I always accomplish my missions. Missions always get accomplished. Uh, I found Todd Stashwick. I told him that I loved his character. He didn't um, sign a, an order of protection against me. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, step one. Uh, we we discussed our love of bourbon. Step two. And step three may be that at some point debrief listeners will be able to hear him here on these airways at a future date. Snap. Oh That's man. Incredible, man. That is incredible. And um, uh, we'll roll out the red carpet for him if he's able to make yes. it happen. Uh, yeah. So he, he's a, a, a Liam Shaw is complex and, um and uh twisty turny and um just just a delightful asshole um and Todd Stashwick is all of those things except for the asshole part um, just delightful yes just delightful <laughs> just delightful not the asshole but you know you know who knows maybe but but not to me at least not to me and that's all that matters. Um, I want to uh, send a special shout out to all of the other uh, great vendors and and things. Uh, also, shout out to Todd's uh, book that is a fantasy libations book that I purchased. So I'll be making some fantasy libations. Um, and he also makes dice. So if you're a fan of rolling dice, um, please be sure to check out. Uh, man, I don't have his company name in front of me. But I will, uh, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. I'll, I'll make sure yeah, that yeah. it's, it's added. Good. So sorry about this, Todd. Todd. Um, but I also want to shout out uh, some some other celebrities that were there. Um, Joe Maganello. Uh, big, oh, Joe Maganello, yeah. Yeah, Mangi- you know, guys whose last name I can't. Nobody needs <laughs> yeah. to, nobody cares about what his last name is because he's so damn hot. Right? Who cares? And and he's like he's as awesome a person as he is hot. Uh, he was there. It was awesome to see him again. Um, I I got to see uh, an actor whom I'm a, a big fan of. I, I really enjoy a lot of his stuff, and uh, I got to uh, say what's up and shake his hand and and you know walk walk the floor. Kind of we were just you know dudes walking the floor. Uh, Vince Vaughn. 
So nice. I, yeah, wow. so yeah, so uh, you know, another Chicago native. Uh, yeah. you're, you know, not too far. Lake Geneva is not too far from Chicago. So see, I feel uh, like you know, I Chicago my, nerds my, came out, man. I need my nerd card revoked because I didn't even know the show was a thing. And I looked at the guest list, and my jaw dropped when I saw the kinds of people that were going to be there. Yeah, was was it pretty relaxed? Uh in in what way? I guess in comparison to a bigger con that you might have gone to, or a, a more generalized <sighs> con that you might have gone to. Mm, well, it you, you know, I don't know that I would call it relaxed, but uh, there weren't the number of people. Right, I only went on one day. The day that I went, it snowed pretty heavily. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it sure. was it was well attended. Um, despite all of that, um, and, but I would say, and, and the thing is the thing about this convention that makes it a little bit alternative, uh, if, if you will, is the fact that it's an old school convention, like it's held in a resort. So there's like one section that has where the gaming spaces are and people have like the ballroom for the gaming spaces and they're playing board games there. And there's another couple of rooms where there are some more board games and maybe like an office space or something like that. And then all the way on the other end of everything, right? Like there were, I had to go down like three different ramps and go down hallways with, with uh, like literally no exaggeration. I went down three floors and uh, four separate hallways where people had rooms to get to the vendor hall. Okay, right, so, and then they had yeah, a, you yeah, know yeah, a yeah. fair a fair size vendor hall, so it was very very spread out. Um, there were lots of different things going on. It's not like a C two E two. It's not in a convention space. Sure. Yeah. Um. So you know. So the so the the crowds and the 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 fervor right of of things isn't the same in in at GaryCon as it is at a Gen Con or or C two E two or sure. you know a a a more traditional convention that is held in a hall you're not going to see kids running up and down the halls but there were lots of people in lots of spaces um, all there celebrating their love of nerddom. And and specifically tabletop RPGs. Excellent. Well, that sounds like a fun show, and yeah, you'll have to uh, to give me some more of the lowdown on it because it sounds really interesting and it sounds cool. It just sounds like like I can't think of a another show that would permit someone to walk the halls with Vince Vaughn, you know, right. without <laughs> like a security escort presence right. or something. Right. So. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm glad to hear it. And of course, you know, if if the stars align, then Cicero, you are just the facilitator of of higher profile guests for Discovery Debrief. So much appreciated as always. You know, we love you very much. Um, Kyle, you were not with us last week. Please right. mm-hmm. let us know what's going on with you. And what did you think of the episode that we discussed last time? I'm still alive. Please send bourbon. Um <laughs> Uh, the episode I listened to you guys talking and it was fantastic. And the episode had some heated that you guys you couldn't agree on a couple of details. And I was a little confused. Um, 
I Instant Row was really fun to see and mm-hmm. really shoehorned in, and like I feel like half <laughs> half of what needed like we needed to see her a couple episodes prior and like slow build up and then and then throw her out, out of an airlock. Um, and you guys, I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell if you guys are being sarcastic or not about the uh, the final meeting between her and Picard being so tearful. Like, was there like a romance vibe there, or was that imagined, or was that a joke? I don't think it was a joke as much as it was my Assume. my read on it was that they tried to indicate that Picard may have had stronger feelings for her than he felt appropriate to act on while he was her captain. Right. Because he, he trailed off a few times when he was saying, well, we were, and then he didn't finish the sentence. So I just read that as possibly indicating that he had some sort of romantic feelings for her, but I'm glad they didn't go deeper than that. Yeah. I don't know. Is that out of left field for, for, for you? I, I don't well I ha- I watched the scene I had that was that everything about that episode was great uh except Rose entry and exit was too fast but then that yeah. moment I'm just like it happened so quick I was like hold on was there something else there did I miss something so yeah I had the same kind of quasi reaction or something sure I don't know it was weird but overall I thought the episode was great and uh this this season has been a marvel of modern Trek and uh, the next, the following episode, what we're talking about today did not disappoint. It, it's no. been a, a load of tribbles. No, yeah. <laughs> you're telling me, uh, Zach, did you want to chime in on that? What did you pick up anything between Picard and Roe? You know, I, I did not rewatch. I have not rewatched preemptive strike recently, uh, but I do remember one of their final scenes. They're like really close. And like, I think they're active. They have to pose as, as like lovers or something in a bar. Right. And so in my mind, I'm like, Oh yeah, they were all like touching there. But I thought that was just like an act. And I, I don't, I did think they were leaning really hard into like, well, you broke my heart. And, but I thought it was more like a mentor mentee thing. Like I didn't really, you, but, but if you, without knowing like an encyclopedic knowledge of everything, if you're just coming into this without knowing their history, you could definitely infer there was perhaps more to it than that. So, but, but just on how they played it. Sure. Yeah. And it it may not have necessarily been romantic, but Picard was clearly trying to communicate something else that went unsaid. Mm -hmm. So whether that was romantic or not, I certainly can't say with 100% certainty, but um, didn't diminish the power of her return in their conversation. No, they didn't go all the way either. I'm glad they just kind of left that at the level they left it at. Just like at a high school dance. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, once they got in the holodeck and we're talking them, their feelings out, like it was like, yeah, more yeah. of this. Yeah, it was yeah. good. Yeah, that's one of those instances that we've talked about before this season where it's like these threads, these longstanding threads are actually like coming full circle, but also serving a story purpose in the moment, which is really cool. Great. Well, uh, without further ado, let's move on to our discussion about episode six of Star Trek Picard season three, The Bounty. So, just to kick off the plot, Worf and Raffi board the Titan together with the crew 
uh, did I write? Oh my God. I wrote that really poorly. Worf and Raffi board the Titan together and the crew develop and execute a plan to infiltrate Daystrom station. Meanwhile, in sickbay, Dr. Crusher tells Picard that she has diagnosed Jack with Eremotic syndrome, which he inherited from his father. After an away team consisting of Riker, Worf, and Raffi are finishing infiltrating Daystrom station, the Titan is forced to flee after Starfleet ships arrive. Uh, so as is normally the case with these descriptions, it's really, really fast and it just gets the most essential information, but we can go a little bit deeper in our discussion. Of course, the story seems to be going out of its way to give Jack the same neurologically degenerative disease as his dad. And I'm curious if you guys think that there's, there's a story purpose here because it seemed just kind of odd to me that they lingered on this for as long as they did. Is there something that's going to happen with Jack and Eremotic Syndrome. Kyle, what do you think? He has it, sure, but that's not what's happening to him right now. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, I think it's still the 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 Paul Wraith possession or something to do with the changelings. And like, yeah, of course he's got Eremotic Syndrome. He's his dad's son, but like, it's a nice little look over here while we do this over here and it's planted nice and deep. Come on. Okay. He, he knew those guys were changelings. Eremotic Syndrome can't do that. No, no, you're right about that. Uh, no, it's just, I just found it odd that they, so you think it might be like a misdiagnosis, like not that he no, doesn't no. have it. No, he's got but, it. He's got it. It's, uh, but there's also something else going on. Right. Sure. Yeah. Zach, how about you? What do you think? Cause this is, I mean, how, how long has it been since you've heard the phrase eromotic syndrome and, and how did this come together for you? <laughs> well, I guess Picard, do they ever say it in Picard season one? They never actually say what it is, did they? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if they actually like, did. Well, you know that disease I have or something. They never really right, yeah. yeah, no, I, of course, remember it. And I, I, Jack Crusher, he is the, the the mystery box element of this season, right? And so I'm, I'm curious to see what they do with it. I really hope it pays off because I really hate it when mystery box things don't pay off. Yeah, um, right. But I, I agree. I don't think it's that. I, I think it's like, like you were saying – Kyle, it's a misdirection or just, oh, well, good. We don't have to address it now. At least the characters anyway are like, okay, well, that's what that was. Because even Beverly is like, oh, he had dreams. I didn't realize it was that bad. And they're going to move on. But there's something way deep. I, I have no idea what it is, <laughs> but it's not that. What, what's going on with Jack? Mm-hmm. Sure. Cicero, how about you? Is this going to come back in some way in the plot with Jack? Um, I don't, I like for, I didn't believe it for a second, right? Like I, oh. I, I you know, last week I kind of told you, what I felt about uh, who Jack was. Um, I don't believe, I didn't believe that he was Jean-Luc Picard's son. Um, I don't believe that Beverly Crusher is Beverly Crusher. Uh, And uh, I'm only more convinced by the end of this episode that I was right about both of those things, right? If anything, uh, Jack Crusher is a clone of Jean-Luc Picard. Um, and Beverly Crusher is a changeling that helped to manipulate them getting that DNA so that they could do whatever it is that they're trying to do for, you know, whatever. Right. And then the, the, the there's the bad changelings and she's part of the the good resistance changelings that are trying to chop stop the changelings from you know changeling the out the alpha quadrant right like so so is uh, real beverly dead in this scenario 
I, you know, I, I, I hope not. That part, that part, I don't know, right? I don't know wh- what happened or where the real Beverly Crusher is. Um, you know, maybe, maybe uh, the new Wesley, the Traveler. <laughs> took her someplace um i don't know i don't know right like it it would it would suck right because i i do think that they i in my in my headcanon my future headcanon the the changeling beverly crusher is a benevolent force right and she is going to have a very real and reasonable justification for um, being as duplicitous as she was to this crew. Hmm. Um, and and that whatever the rationale for that is, it's got to be believable enough so that, that the crew is like, oh, okay, we get it, and they keep moving on. Because that in and of itself is, is something that they would have to spend an episode or an episode and a half on and they don't have the time to do that kind of stuff. Well, so, we did hear in one of Jack's visions a voice that sounded a lot like Beverly say, "Find me." Right. So, mm. Right. You know. Right. We, Look at we, that. we will see how that right. unfolds. Yeah. Rachel, did you have anything come up in your mind when he was so clearly diagnosed with erotic syndrome, or do you think that this is just kind of an innocuous detail? Uh, it kind of bothered me that like he's supposed to be 20 and he is like having symptoms of urimotic syndrome. <laughs> and like if that were true, then like Captain Picard would be having symptoms like the whole time he was captain of the Enterprise. Yeah, it didn't really exert itself or assert itself, I should say, until all good things, right? That's the first time you hear of it is when he's like super old and all good things. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those um, convenient space diseases. Like I had space shingles once, but I got better. You right. know, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that kind of bothered me, and then it also bothers me that Jack looks like he's like thirty, and he's supposed to be twenty. Well, he is. Like, well, he's like, clearly that's the aromatic yeah. syndrome. Uh, yeah, there it right. is. Yeah. So. yeah. How old? What? How old is he supposed to be? Because Picard is like, you're like 24, 25, right? And I'm like, actually, yeah. he's more like nineteen, right? If you do the yeah. the actor is like thirty four. So. Yeah, it's just to me, it's well, so clear to me that this is an actor who is my age, not a <laughs> right. like, not a nineteen year old. Yeah. And right. I, mean, yeah. I worked on a like college campus for years too, and I'm like, you know, twenty year old, even twenty two year olds start to look like babies once you get in your thirties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Changeling Jack Crusher is about 102, so he's looking pretty good right now. There it is. Right. Well, the, yeah. The, I mean, well, how long has it been since Beverly and and Jean Luc have seen each other? Twenty three years, they said. In 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 canon. Something See, like we're going. That, yeah. So it's 2401, and we right. last saw them, or I think they indicated that it came out to like 2381. When was the waterfall? Mm. Waterfall was around 2381. <laughs> waterfall. Right. It was after the right. space candle. So yeah, so, yeah short, so that's the waterfall is just shorthand for their rock. Right. Oh my god. So, so twenty. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so much imagery. So so yeah. So I, that is 20 years, right? There's no like. There's no way, right? There's no way, like to Rachel's point, there's no way that dude well, is 20 years old. Listen, right? I've, I've broached, I've broached my fourth decade, and I'm I've rhymed right over the ramshackle. I'm tumbling down into two and three and whatever. 
anybody 35 and, and younger looks the same to me. Like they still have placenta <laughs> on them, <laughs> you know? So like I, I buy it. It's fine. Right. <laughs> the, you, you're the only, you're the only one, man. You're the only one, Kyle. No, like, you know it, what? It, it, <laughs> Yeah, it's, the there's no way. there's no way that they want us to believe that that guy is 20 years old. I don't know, man. Look, right? I, I am a host of a Smallville podcast, and Tom Welling was 25 years old playing a 15 year old. <laughs> yeah, but Tom Welling. Tom Welling did look. But this is young. not the WB, and this is not right. 2000, right. So exactly that that part that part also. We, right? We've evolved and, since then. I understand. Right, that. and and so like, and that's the thing, right? Like. They weren't looking for a lead for a show that was going to be on for 10 years. They were looking for a guy who was going to be in 10 episodes of the final season of Picard. So if they were going to cast the guy as a 20-year-old, and they could have found someone that looked. I agree with that. Like I, I, I think he's given a great performance, but I do think he is. He has an older energy than he should for a character who is allegedly 20 years old. I, I agree and, with right. all that. I think that's key, too, because Picard is like that. And the guy does kind of favor him a little bit. Yeah, he does. Like, as soon as I saw the poster of the show, I'm like, well, that's his son. <laughs> I was like, "Well, who is this guy? Oh, the mysterious character." But like, oh, well, that's just, and even yeah, there's something in, like the facial triangle with the nose and the eyes. I I see it. I see the relation there. Okay. So, I, I was ready to punch him when I first saw him. I totally was. <laughs> right. But now the perform now the actor is really showing his merit. Like this mm-hmm. stuff that's happened in this episode in particular. I'm like, yes. okay, you cast the right guy. I'm on his side now. Sure, I don't care how old he is. He could be he could be Doctor Pulaski for all I care. But he's, he's, yeah, he's so. Killing it. Right. My my thing is not the performance because the performances are great. Um, it's it's what they want me to believe about the character. Like, am I supposed to be a Star Trek fan and not care hold about on, the hold age? On a second. Right. Hold on a second. So the genetically engineered Tribble gets a pass. But this guy is too old. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because that was in the Daystrom. That was in the Daystrom uh, outpost, right? Like everything Daystrom is is mysterical and and magical and anything can happen in the Daystrom Institute. (laughs) Um, All right. right? right. So, but like, right. But like you, like, I just don't see how they could narratively say this guy is 20 years old and expect Star Trek fans not to say, wait a minute. We're right? doing like, the calculations do, in our yeah, head. Not right. to do right. the math. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. like that is a, that's a core part of our principle. Like that is that is, yeah, that is Look. fundamentally who we are. Uh, it didn't well, bother me. <sighs> It didn't bother me until it's this whole eromotic syndrome thing came up, and the and I'm like, it's it just like I'm like, well, Picard didn't have it at this age, and then I, it was because like, they started making they forced me to think about his age, and then I started, right, right. yeah, then it just yeah. let me down wait around. a minute, right? But whatever it takes, whatever well, it I takes, need, there's different kinds we're of fans, gonna get there, right? there's different kinds of fans. Like some people really like the spaceships, other people like me were like. That's a hand wavy. I'm just going to gloss over and then yeah. wait till we get back to the actors. Because like, you if, battles, you, if yeah. you think about the laws of physics in this universe, they're gone. <laughs> they're all <laughs> gone. Yeah. This franchise has broken all of them. And so like, you got to pick your battles, man. He's fine. Heisenberg compensators sure. and red matter. 
right? Right. Um, right. Man. <laughs> matter. I gotta yes, say this though, Shenzon did look younger in Nemesis. Tom yeah, Hardy right. was legit like twenty one or something. Right. Then, right. He told they should, me you know, much. here's another thing. This whole Abraham Anderson thing, they should have given that to Shinzon. Remember, he tells him, like, oh, if you're, I had an inner ear thing or whatever, right? He Sherlock tells him Nemesis. Was right. not your Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're I'm right. like, you should have done this. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I had the space there you go. <laughs> the space shingles. There they are. Space no, shingles, I, man. I, I appreciate, Zach, you mentioning the triangle on the face because I remember. Yeah. Was it like the casting director of the Phantom Menace? That's exactly Chris where I got her from. Yes. The, right, yeah. the Alec like this picture and the- <laughs> Ewan McGregor and how it matched yes. up with Obi-Wan. And 100%. Yeah. And it, it, it fits. You're right. You're totally right. It does fit. Um, well, uh, next question on this plot point that I have in the briefing, Captain Shaw mentions that the morphogenic virus that Section 31 deployed against the founders during the war has radicalized some of them. Um, I'm just curious, how are we feeling about a separate group of changelings? You know, is it just that they're mad about the outcome of the war? Is there something else at play here? I mean, there've been some preview materials for the next episode that included who, whomever Vatic is talking to, that seems like there's something else there, but how are we feeling about this separate group of changelings? And does that mean that, the dominion itself could still assert itself. Kyle, what do you think? My feelings can be summed up by quoting Tony, the tiger. They're great. (laughs) (laughs) They're great. I love them. It gives the race some nuance. Uh, And Odo gave them lots of nuance, but here we have a wrinkle that is a, a, a natural, you know, ripple effect from in universe shenanigans, like the dominion war and all that. I love it. The star Trek, plays really well in these waters usually. And this is a really great little ripple effect. I think that there, there's something interesting going on about them. Dakot fire caves or the 100 remnants of the 100 people that couldn't get back to the gamma quadrant mm-hmm. or, uh, and, and they got stuck with the virus and they're pissed or, you know, like, I don't know. They get, one of them got caught in a toaster, a Federation toaster and just, that's it. I'm, I'm revenge. It started dancing to Jackie Gleason music. Right. But, but it, 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 if it's, it origi- if it originates in the great link, there's been a, a, a chasm and that's interesting. And it really goes against the whole monoculture thing that's often happening in Star Trek. And I, I, I like that. It, it makes them rich. Sure. Yeah. I think that's a good point. That was a Ghostbusters two joke, by the way. Oh yeah. yeah okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Zach, um, get your nerd card back, man. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> no one talks about Ghostbusters too. Well, <laughs> I, 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 come on now, uh, Zach. Just the idea of because I, I don't think I've ever actually spoken to you about like the implementation of changelings on this show. How does mm. all this coming together? First of all, the fact that they're here and that they've sort of created this additional subculture separate from the Link and the Founders. Well, I, I didn't expect them. That was very, it was a surprise when they show up. Uh, I think, I think this is like, this whole season is like the episode of Conspiracy, but as a season. And instead <laughs> of the bugs, it's changelings. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. Let's run with that, right? Uh, picking up after, I mean, that's what kind of we all wanted to see. I don't know, me, I can't speak for myself, but like picking up after like all the events of D Space Nine and the 24th century, it's so interesting. Like, where is the galaxy now? That's what they're doing, right? So incorporating here is, is really smart. I was, you know, we'll get into this later when we go down the list of things that you see. Uh, the show has really been 
coming through for me who was like, remember I said I had the issues with new Star Trek? I was like, they're, cha- they're changing the way things look. It's so upsetting. Um, I was a little upset. I was like, that's not a change things look. They're all like meaty and stuff. It's supposed to be like gold and metallic and 90 CGI. And I was upset. And, uh, <laughs> but I was like, oh no, these are new change things. Like they have blood. I'm like, there's a reason they look different. The thing I was going to complain about, they've like, nope. We solved your problem, Star Trek fan. So that's cool. And I, I also thought about like the hundred or the, you know, the like oh, laws, right? In that episode of season seven, he he was going to go start a great link. Is this somehow connected to that? I don't know. Or is this a side effect of the virus? They didn't all heal right. And why they're all upset. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, there's a lot of unknowns here, um, but it does uh, make sense that there would be some. I mean, how long were they the Dominion in the Gamma Quadrant? Like hundreds of years. They're not just going to change overnight just because Odo was like, hey, man, everybody's cool. Right. I mean, they had they had disagreements. So I I think that's I think that's a really interesting concept. And I don't I really don't know what's up with Vatic at all. Like when that first happened, I was like, is she a normal person? And the changeling possesses her because that's her hand. Like, I don't even know. Right. So I'm confused to changeling smoke. Right. Apparently. Odo I, like fake drinking coffee. So what is this? What is it? What does she get out of that? No, I did. I commented that on the, during the episode. I was like, I was like, if she's a changeling, why is she smoking? Like, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they don't have lungs, but that can't still be good. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's why I think she's some weird hybrid or something. But I, I don't know. Well, well, but she's a full in this episode. We see that she's a full changeling. So I, I guess she just right. likes maybe. smoking. She likes vaping. Right. Maybe, right. it's, maybe it's some sort of changeling medicine for a space disease. Oh, we've also, there it is. We've also seen. Yeah. Uh, remember when Odo was changed into a human, and he, he when you scanned him, he read as a human, and he bled like a human. What if he was like really just one of these kinds of changelings? What if these changelings like disagreed with the Great Link and they kicked him out? And was like, fine, you're you're solids, but they're not. Yeah. They still shape shift mm. a little bit. Yeah, but they still have to regenerate. So. Yeah, they still need buckets. Yeah, that's a good oh point yeah, now. the buckets. Yeah, we which the bucket, had, the bucket never bothered me. I just need to say this now on the record: like that, that's a thing that would usually bother me on a deep level. But sure. if you think about it, if you think about it, the first stop from the Gamma Quadrant is D Space Nine or Bajor. They would buy a bucket and it would look like Odo's because it's all that they buy from the same planet. There's my Star Trek explanation. Head cannon is the best. So I love it. That's great. <laughs> that's like Chekhov's explanation for why he knew Khan. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. That's great. Uh, Rachel, how is uh, this separate cadre of changelings coming together for you? Um, okay, I, I've just been thinking about it for the last like 30 seconds or something. And I my theory about Vodic smoking is now that they do have organs because the new ones have organs. Yeah. yeah. And she is just like obsessed with like the pleasures of the flesh. Ah. And she's like, I love smoking. <laughs> She's like when Bender became human and he just couldn't stop smoking and eating nachos. Yeah, yes. yeah. exactly. Same, yeah. same Bender. Anyway, same. Uh, <laughs> to your question, um, I I agree with everyone that I think it's very interesting. I am getting somewhat impatient to just know more. Um, you want to see the Dominion? I just feel like they've been they've been setting it up for like three episodes now of like their changelings. They are really good at being humans. They're everywhere in Starfleet. Watch out. Oh my God, what's happening? I'm like, now I want a little bit of forward movement with it or like some explanation of what's going on. Sure. Yeah, I'm just getting, I'm really getting antsy. I understand. Yeah. Cicero, what are your thoughts about uh, everything that we've been talking about? Uh, They are unmuted. Um, so, um, the, 
I guess the the first part is the the biggest problem with Star Trek. If 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 Star Trek has a biggest problem, the biggest problem with Star Trek is something that many people have pointed out, and Kyle just did, which is this monoculture that you you go to a planet and everyone on the planet shares the same ideology, yeah. shares the same beliefs, shares the same language, yeah. shares the same accent, everything. It's like right? Southern California. So fact- <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, but so so just just the explanation, right, that some some of the changelings um, uh, had an opportunity to experience a thing and they drew from it something unique to themselves or unique to the smaller group as opposed to the whole. And as a result, it has driven how they see not only their people, but also uh, the the former or current adversaries of their people is something that is completely natural and, and dare I say, completely human to have happen. So that explanation in and of itself was enough for me to be like, oh, okay, fine, you know. Sure, mm-hmm. they they were radicalized. I don't necessarily, um, I I appreciate the verbiage because of who it came from. I don't necessarily appreciate that verbiage per se, but you know, I, I, you know, that's that's me getting really really pedantic about it. Um, but like the the rest of it, it's it's whatever it is that we're doing in order to help us get move the plot along right so this is you know this is plot grease so let's allow the plot grease to to help us slide forward to whatever the conclusion is going to be plot mm-hmm. grease it should be the name of your autobiography sir yes <laughs> <laughs> duly noted there you go he's writing it down right now uh great well let's let's move along with the plot so picard seeks out help from Commodore Jordy LaForge, his former chief engineer, now in charge of the Starfleet Museum at Aethon Prime. Jordy is less than enthused to see that the Titan has arrived, and when Picard comes to him for help, Jordy ultimately explains that he is unable to help the crew because of fear for his family's well-being. So, I mean, this is something that we've been waiting for for a long time. Jordy is back. This marks LeVar Burton's first time reprising the role in live action since Star Trek Nemesis over 20 years ago. So I think with that comes a great deal of expectation. And I'm curious if it delivered. Rachel? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that... um, Jordy LeVar Burton's a good actor. Yes. Um, and I didn't really appreciate that um, until I just some of his his acting in this episode really, really got me. Um, his reaction to when he first saw Data and I was like, it's his friend. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. And I just think that that line is so it's I don't know. It's so intentionally manipulative. And like, oh, it's Data. <laughs> like, but just the, the way that he like played it just got me really good. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, he was acting in TNG like with a comb over his eyes (laughs) and like and uh and he does a great job right and so i'm like he's 
like really really good mm-hmm. um so i kudos to him good yeah. hot take yeah bar burton good it's cold take. <laughs> well i mean i think you even saw that on display in this franchise i don't think it's talked about enough but the scene in insurrection when he gets his sight back so good yeah i think that's the single most emotionally compelling part of that movie like and, mm-hmm. and I know for some people that may not be saying much, but he owns that moment, and he's accompanied by Jerry Goldsmith, and it's just like it all comes together in a beautiful way. And for people who had gone on the experience with that character for that long, it's it a, it's a callback to the second episode where he says he's never seen a, a sunrise. I'm like, look at you, look at you, insurrection. Exactly. Yeah, how about that? Right? He, he's good. He made his mark with Roots. The man can do it. Yeah, he can do it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's also a reason that, like, in Roots, the the character is so, or at least, like, for me, I remember, like, Kunta Kinte as LeVar Burton, not the older version of him, <laughs> of that character. Like, I'm like, oh, it's LeVar, like, that's, like, LeVar Burton played him, but then another actor did, too, but I don't remember him as well. So, yeah, I mean, sure. he really made an impression in that first part of Roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carol O'Connor. Oh. <laughs> Carol O'Connor was the guy. No, it wasn't. Carol O'Connor is Archie Bunker, right? Like, oh, okay. definitely oh, did what not kind play of older. Is this? this is crazy. Older Kunta Kinte. Kunta Kinte, Edith. Cicero, how did the return of uh, Jordy LaForge, played by your close personal friend, LeVar Burton? Yeah, close personal friend, LeVar Burton. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. How did that? Uh, it it was great, right? Like it was it was great. Uh, like like Rachel said, right? Yeah, he's he is a great actor. It's not something um that I noticed at this particular moment, but at, you know, I had had recognized a while ago. Um, but uh, it was not only great to see Lavar Burton, but it was great to see Mika Burton with Lavar yeah. Burton. Um. And in fact, there's there's one thing that I want to call out is after this episode, because I watched it pretty early, a lot earlier than I'd watched previous episodes, I had the time to watch the um uh what's what's the, ready the, room? the show? The, the ready room. Yeah, yeah. Right. The yeah. ready yeah, the ready room after after this episode. Um and then was able to watch all of the ready rooms that I had missed in between that. Um but there has been a call for people from people within this cast to try and figure out a way to spin off their particular characters or their their character grouping into some kind of show. Mm-hmm. So everyone in the ready room hmm. has been making their pitch for for like finding more work right finding a way <laughs> yes. to, on work breaking news right, right breaking news hottest of takes um is is you know and and but but all of them and it's you know but it is not just actors trying to find work but it's actors that are passionate about these particular characters and wanting and and feeling like there is still more meat on the bones of these characters and they want to explore those things through these new dynamics, you know, uh, Michelle heard and, um, and, uh, and, and, and Worf, you know, so Rafi and Worf, 
they were, you know, they were talking about having some kind of spinoff. And then, you know, obviously, uh, when, when, uh, Todd Stashwick was on, there was, you know, conversation about him and, and Jerry Ryan, you know, so like, you know, all that stuff. But then, but then what the same thing happened in this ready room with LeVar Burton and Mika Burton. And, uh, I forget the, the, the actors, she's got three first names. Ashley Sharp Chestnut. Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> three first names. <laughs> yeah, it's man. Listen, they are three first names in I in Idaho. I'm telling you. Uh, <laughs> so, um, they they so like all three of them talked about and 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 Mika and Ashley specifically were talking about the relationship that they have formed as the as the the well quasi Burton sisters, but, but the LaForge sisters um, and, and how that's kind of leapt off the page onto the stage and into their, into their personal lives. Um, But, but also I was very affected by it and he was very affected by it. Genuinely LeVar Burton, um, not only watching the relationship between his daughter and this, and this woman who was playing his daughter on a show, um, bond and and have a relationship like sisters since Mika is a, an only child, but also Lavar having the moment, having the chance to see his daughter who followed in his footsteps as an actor, to see her perform, but not only see her perform, but to work with her, mm-hmm. right? Like in in and not only work with her like and, and like he said work with her with these people yeah. who are basically her family right these are people that she grew up around right both on the set and in her personal home they've all been you know there right it's uncle mike I, uncle michael dorn and you know uncle patrick you know uncle sir patrick stewart right like these are, these are these are people that she knows intimately and to be able to share that space right these stories that she's heard all of the things that she's heard about these people from you know in the barbecues in the backyards all those things but able to be able to do it together was amazing and he said that he he went to the set early his call time was later, but he left with Mika every day so that they could ride to work every day. Because <laughs> he he realizes now that there's, you know, it it's the longest of shots that they'll be able to do this again. Um, so yeah, he's he's gonna take advantage of that. And he got emotional thinking about that part, but even more emotional thinking about how being on that set. And and having that family around her, her infected his daughter, yeah, and and has made something great of him. And I know I just talked about Lavar Burton and not really Jordy LaForge, but I don't care, right? Like that's <laughs> like like we're pretty close. Nothing that I could say. I mean, right, <laughs> right. But there's nothing. There's no, there's nothing that I will say about Jordy. Um, and, and the performance, right? Because LeVar Burton is an excellent actor, right? There's nothing that I would say about Jordy that somebody else won't also say about Jordy. Um, but it's important to talk about, I, I feel 
uh, it's important for us to talk about LeVar and Mika and Ashley and, and what they've contributed to, uh, to the show and what it means for LeVar, because that part is really important. That guy has gone unsung and unheralded for, for far too long. Even though he's been the conscience of American children for the better part of four decades. But, right. Right. And he should be the host of Jeopardy. But, absolutely uh, should be the host of Jeopardy. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. Right. I, I, I just... When I had a chance to uh, to talk to him, yeah, I you know I I gave him a chance to for to give him his flowers, right, and and um, you know explain to him what he's meant to me and to other um, you know creators of color and and nerds of color and just people, right? Not only people of color, but but to people, but specifically to black folks, right? That he has been a symbol of hope through all of history, right? He was hope from the past in the form of our ancestors in Kunta Kinte, right? He was hope in our presence by showing us how to read as the guy in Reading Rainbow. And he was hope for our future to show us that there are black folks in the future because we don't get to see black folks in the future. There are no black folks in the Jetsons, right? There was Nichelle Nichols in Star Trek and and uh, Billy D. Williams, right, in Star Wars. Actually, that was in a galaxy a long time ago. <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. So that yeah. So that was even in the past, right? But Sorry. so. So, right. So, but he was a symbol of hope through, you know, in, in all of those places, he was a place where I could draw pride from in my past. Right. And, and, uh, become driven and inspired in my present by reading and to aspire in my future and, uh, and gave me the ability and the and the boldness to dream about who I could possibly be and dare anybody to tell me differently because Jordy LaForge is one of the greatest engineers of all time. Excellently said, of course. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that all your mm-hmm. points are extraordinarily salient. And uh, yeah, he's, he's a very important performer, but also a very important guiding post for a lot of people. So- Thank you for giving service to that. And so, I mean, there's no real way for me to follow that, Cicero, (laughs) but uh, don't let that diminish uh, how much value I think we all take from what you said. Uh, Zach, what'd you think of Jordan? (laughs) Oh, yes. I have to follow it up now. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Well said, Cicero. Uh, it was so cool to see Jordy, man. Let me tell you, I mean, how are you supposed to follow that up, right? No, it, it really was great. Great to see LeVar Burton, and and because this this made it. Uh, he was the last. Well, I him and Brent Spider, right? The last two to to be in this episode, which made this episode the first time all seven of these actors and characters have been together since Nemesis, which makes it such a great moment. Uh, it's so true about him on. TNG with with the visor like on one hand I'm like I respect that they didn't just now you have sight Jordy because how many times did they dangle that and didn't do it 
But then you see him without the visor, like the movies. And of course, LeVar Burton and his other stuff. He's such an expressive guy. And it's like, man, you feel like that was such a crutch. But then it kind of was the point of the character. So I'm like, ah, you know, so I have two minds about it on TNG. But yeah, um, seeing him here, I mean, he's in a different phase of life as the, as the actor and the character. Right. So that that helps. And I just I thought that was some, there were some good scenes between him and him and uh, Patrick Stewart. Right. He's like, look, I would love to help you, but I got to look out for my family. Like you understand, like you want him to help but you understand why he has to say no. And he's just kind of drug along on this thing. I, I have loved so much of this, this show, but because it has so much like early season TNG energy, like just Riker on the bridge saying LaForge set a course. I'm like, Oh, it's like season one. It's so good. Um, and just, and then of course, you know, that's his daughter and then playing in here. And I thought it was interesting that they do, they had this whole plot about, and maybe you guys have talked about this, or picked up on it. This whole plot about how like his first daughter, didn't want to be an engineer. She's a pilot. And they never bring up the fact that like Jordy was a pilot, like before he was yeah. an engineer. I'm yeah. like, that's did yeah. no one catch you guys are so good about continuity. <laughs> I thought for sure that would come back around at some point, but they do the whole engineer thing and it's great. But I, I just thought that was a very strange thing. They seem to have overlooked, but no, just seeing him as a dad, I'm most, I'm just most curious who the mom is. They say your mother a few times. They never say Leah Brahms. Let's get Susan Gibney on that LaForge show spinoff, please. <laughs> And uh, does he have a third child like in all good things? Those are my questions. Let's see if they get answered before the end of the show. Yeah, Good, good questions. She's um, not dead, though. His wife is not dead because they that's true. They call so your mother. Mom, yeah. Your mom. Yeah. I was dinner. terrified she would be dead. Yeah. <laughs> Leah Brahms. That's you know what? That's I'll be really interested to see who. If anyone they they identify, uh, it, I well, think- it ain't Leah Brahms because some kids are black. <laughs> so, and, and also after what happened between LaForge and LeBrahms on on the holodeck, like there's right, right, those yeah. are the- like he needs to separate himself. Galaxy from that. Child yeah. is one of the most awkward, cringe episodes to go back and watch. Now it's like, right. oh, Jordy, what are you doing, man? I it's but, a little awkward. Uh, it's a little yeah. awkward. Yeah. They didn't. So, but just best didn't. not to name the mother. We can all have our headcanon to move on from it, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. They they shouldn't have saddled Lavar Burton with with the with the cringe inducing moments of that episode. But oh oh well, we're team team Lavar. I think we're well established. Oh, uh, Kyle, how did the Geordie return come together for you? Considering how long it's been since we've seen him, um, like Cicero, I have a unrequited burning love for a Todd Stashwick, Captain Liam Shaw. I've been enjoying that character so much that it's confused my sexuality until Jordy, <laughs> La- until Jordy LaForge shows up like just a delicious morsel of Starfleet in that perfect uniform. I'm just like, Oh dude, I have missed you. You son of a bitch. <laughs> and, uh, and I've, I, I, I love he's there. He's got great energy. He's talking to Picard the way he did in the TNG era. Like I always, I always thought of like the captain as the ship captain, of the ship and engineering is kind of like the sub captain. He's like, he, the captain has to ask the engineer for stuff. He can't right. order yeah. him. Like, yeah. of course he can, but he, that's not the relationship because that's just not the relationship. And it's the same thing. It's like the two co-captains of a sort are having to deal with the situation. It was great seeing him talk to Patrick Stewart again. Um, I love seeing his daughter, uh, Mika, who, as they pointed out in Ready Room, feels and carries herself the same way that her dad did. So they come off the 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 the, the, the teleportation pad kind of like in the same physical brogue. And it, it totally worked, man. It totally worked. And you know, it might've been my favorite character until, uh, Ashley stole the scene. Like 
she is now my favorite character on this show. Mm-hmm. The little Forge daughter, the Helms woman. And I think I think they haven't acknowledged it, but I think the guys creating the show know exactly that they made her. Right. I think they, they know exactly. To. No, no they, these guys you, are not missing anything, you know? You close your eyes and you hear Riker like, LaForge said, of course, for this. And it's oh, like the end of a season one episode, right? It's it's, yeah. it's so good. So Yeah. No, I, I love it. It, it. it feels better than it. I, I had no interest in seeing classic characters. I just want like a good story. Yes. If it was one yes. character, seven characters, I don't care. But boy, did it feel good to see it. It felt way better than I expected. And LaForge yes. is like, kind of like, I don't know, there's something about LeVar Burton. He just cinched it together. And who did Captain Shaw lose himself around? Right? <laughs> Talking ah, about the love fest. That was what Shaw. a great moment. And right. who did Captain Shaw lose it for? No, I think it's I think it's uh it's is very well said, of course. Well, we had a big chunk of story here to get through for this next one, but there's not really any way around it. And uh this this is gonna be kind of a fun thing to talk about. So As the away team makes their way through Daystrom Station, encountering a whole host of artifacts and weapons from Starfleet's past, they're confronted by the sapient holodeck version of Professor Moriarty that these crew members encountered aboard the Enterprise D as the station begins to defend itself. After determining hints laid down by these defenses, Riker deduces that elements of Data's consciousness are present in their obstacles and ultimately discovers that a Soong-type android slash golem containing the memories of Data, B4, Lal, Lore, and Alton Soong, who was from season one of Picard, is at the heart of Daystrom. It also contains the project's database they're looking for so they can figure out exactly what the changelings stole. So before we get to to the fun stuff, um, I think we need to touch on Data because this is a character that we have now seen die twice in this franchise, as was referenced in the episode itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but the the way that they said goodbye to Data, like as many issues as season one of Picard has, I don't feel like that's one of them. I felt like they gave Data a nice appropriate send off. If the character was going to die, that's the way I prefer to see it happen. As opposed to what we saw in nemesis, it was actually kind of a sweet moment. It was sad to say goodbye to him, but that is generally how we confront death, even expected death in real life. You know, you're not going to be able to avoid the sadness, but at least we can say goodbye in certain scenarios to people with dignity. And that's what I felt like was provided for data. But now, This thread that has been hanging for 20 years since Nemesis, where Data effectively downloads his entire consciousness into B4, you know, is loosely referenced in season one when we saw that B4 was being held at the Daystrom Institute. Mm -hmm. But now we're seeing that maybe Data's consciousness has managed to survive again, but it's going into this more advanced golem, similarly to Picard's current body. And his consciousness is in conflict with the consciousnesses of Lore, of B4, and apparently of Lal. Um, so just in terms of the return of Data, what do you guys make for this potential resurrection again? Even though, you know, we're talking about getting all these characters together again, it would feel like it was missing something if Data wasn't there in some form or fashion. I've been so used to the idea that we're never going to see him, and now my expectations have been upturned. But what do you guys make of it? Um, Kyle, let's start with you. Just like the the idea that Data is potentially back. I love it. 
Yeah. And and not and not in a way like I like I want to see Brent Spiner like I didn't I don't I'm not trying to collect all the toys and put them on the table. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was really smart, you know, like data is software in in, in a body, you know, in, in an artificial body and copying and pasting them and moving them around like I think that is a uh, a very fun interesting way to play with that character uh, that we weren't prepared to think about in the 90s. Like now we copy data and move stuff between hard drives and and clone computers and stuff like that. It, 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 you don't have to explain this to anybody. I think it's great. And having all those personalities in there, uh, I think is very interesting. It'll be fun to see Brent uh, play with that. Uh, but I think it's a really cool reboot to that character. And I think it's perfectly timed. I mean, like I would never have guessed that they would have tried to do this. Like I, I like you thought he was done and I preferred the nemesis death the, uh, as opposed to the season two Picard death. Uh, I, I didn't think there was any reason to bring him to season two, but all the same, I'm very happy with the cleverness of this and I I'm waiting. I'm really waiting to see what they do with it. Sure. Yeah. Rachel, your reaction was you, you seemed very emotionally affected by the fact that data could be back. Now that you've had some time to think about it, how's it come together for you? I guess I have conflicting emotions. I liked seeing him and I liked that we kind of have the full complement of the crew all together. Mm-hmm. Um because that was my concern coming into this season was like ah oh, they're getting the gang back together but they can't get data back together because he he did <laughs> um so on the one hand like yes i was i did fall for their clear manipulation to uh get me to <laughs> see my friend again but um on the other hand i was kind of like can we just let him die i don't know (laughs) like how many times does he need to die the toaster is rusty leave it alone (laughs) yeah yeah um so i was like a little bit frustrated um but yeah i don't know i'm I'm of two minds i have many feelings you're human yeah that's the nature of being human uh zach how about you how did the return of data apparent return of data come together for you Man, there's just so much to unpack with this, right? Because like you guys are saying, he's, he's died twice. I'm glad the show acknowledged that. Picard's like, hey, this is hard. We've seen this guy die twice. I'm like, thank you. Very good. And the cynic in me is like, come on, Brent Spiner. You wanted to die so many times and you keep coming back as these characters, man. And and now you're not even wearing makeup. Like, what's the deal, man? Um, but the the person who grew up watching TNG and Data was my favorite character is like, oh, Data's back. And... I got to tell you guys, I, man, that CGI de-aging has gone great because Jonathan Frakes looked 30 years younger in, that, in those flashback <laughs> scenes. Am I right? No. I know those are scenes from Encounter at Farpoint. When they first started doing that, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I, I was really confused what they were leading up to because I think we'd all thought he was going to, Brent Spiner was going to be lore in this. Because mm-hmm. even the trailer, Jory's like, damn it, lore, or whatever. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess he's lore. I guess he made him a human or something, whatever. But you know what? They found a way <laughs> to make this make some sense. You know, I mean, like the whole Gollum body is I'm not a fan of the Gollum body for Picard at all. But you know what? It happened. Let's use the continuity to our advantage. Here is a a soon looking, you know, Brent Spiner, 70 year old looking body here with the memories and these personalities of all these different people. And I got to say, like, just the the lead up to it. And then just Jonathan Frakes and Rikers results. I mean, he's like, 
it's data. Like for like you were with him in that scene. I'm like, there he, he's right there. It's just like, I don't know, like that the whole way they sold this, like, you know what, guys? You sold me on it. Well done. Like I I'm still conflicted about I get like you guys are saying, like are we how many times are we gonna bring him back? But he is a character who is designed to be brought back this way. So it does make a lot of sense and it would feel very incomplete. There'd be a big asterisk on this reunion season if he wasn't there and they found a way to do it. And I I applaud them for for tying together all these random continuity things to to make this happen. And, I, and I'm excited to see what comes of it. My prediction is, I guess, all the personalities will merge into a new thing at the end. I think that's what Soong was hoping for. So it won't just be data again. It'll be something something better, right? That was, that was the goal. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. And uh, I never thought I'd hear Brent Spiner do the B4 voice again. Uh, but we, we got that this time. Oh, uh, yeah. Definitely Does the tall man field. have a fuzzy face? Oh my goodness! <laughs> you guys don't like. I like them. I have a soft spot for Nemesis. Eh. You know what? We we should we should talk about that more readily because it's been a source of discussion on this show in the past, and I kind of do too. But it's it's got a lot of asterisks on it. But anyway, uh, Cicero, um, how do you take the the apparent return of Data? Um, I was prepared to say that this um, moment felt like a um, positive diagnostic pi- positive diagnosis after a prostate exam. Um, <laughs> oh, <God>. Man, <laughs> right? It's just positive. It was right. There was there was lots of discomfort, but I was I was pleased with the results. Um, but no, but negative, but- right? Because medically, right, 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 exactly. Okay. Yes, 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 right, right. We've all seen um, that episode of The Office, and apparently in the medical right. field, negative is a good thing. <laughs> negative is a play, right. Um, so, um, but but then Kyle made some really salient points about how we, as people now, 30 years removed from when we first met these characters, we have become more conditioned with literal data right and how easily it can be manipulated and and right so the thought of him copying himself and storing a version of himself uh is is you know like oh okay yeah sure right like that makes perfect sense now where whereas i you know that would have taken most of a segment on on the show in 91 or 92 to explain how that was possible. Um, so now you don't, now you don't have to do that, but as they were making that explanation and as the sing, the song was, was singing his song song um, about, about what the thing was, I wasn't paying attention. Like I would, I would dip in and out. Yeah. It, you know, it was, it was a lot. It's fine. It was, right, it was a, <laughs> a lot like my partner telling me about her dream, you know, like, okay, <laughs> I I get it. Yeah, sure. All right. And then the Valkyries came. I get it. Like, whatever. Um, What's, you know, what's the bottom line, right? And the bottom line is that we've got some version of data back, which is cool, right? Like, I'm in agreement with everybody else. It is a positive. And it also gives Brent Spiner the ability to, to be the improvisational ham that he loves to be and that he is so, so good at. He's right? not just a hand, he's um, a whole pig. Right, right. So <laughs> so um, you know, and I, I I if there was anything that I loved about last season, 
it was just how mustache twirly Brent Spiner was during the course of the season. It made no sense. It did not fit at all. The season was dumb, 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 dumb. But he was fun at least, you know, he was fun at least while all of that dumb stuff was happening. Um, And and we're going to get a chance to see that version of Brent Spiner in, or at least that's what they're they're alleging is that we're going to see that version of Brent Spiner during the course of this portrayal in the next three four episodes um, as th- this Gollum android thing figures out who it is. It won't. We'll call it Data for a while. It will name itself something else. Mm. Yeah. Um. So it won't be Data. Yeah. It's a good point. Um, but. But, but like, I hope it ends up being right night court Brent Spiner. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, so like, that's who who knows what is, you know, maybe data soon or you know, before data soon, all terabyte, right? Captain, Captain Terabyte, but like, uh, yeah, I mean, this is. It's it's it is what it is, but what I'm happy about is like again, we got an episode with all seven of them together. Mm-hmm. We got it a lot quicker than we supposed we were get it we would get it last week. So I'm very happy about that. Uh and you know, now all we're waiting for is the chance to see all of them together, all seven of them together on screen at the same time. Um and and to get to the resolution. So like we're on our way and I appreciate that. Yeah, most definitely. I yeah. do want to play with all the toys. Yeah. <laughs> to to, to yeah. see to see Brent Spiner the data say Jordy and to see oh, our Brent right. say data, I was like, oh, oh, yeah. oh yes. Yeah. It was yes. so good. Yeah. It, was it was delicious. So, yes. yeah, so you, yes. you can't you can't deny it. I mean, um, yeah, and I guess I just come down on it as just a little conflicted because they have gone to the well on death for data so many times, and I feel like that's Brent Spiner's fault. I think Kyle or, or Zach, I think you alluded to that, and I mm. think that that's an, a, an, an apt thing to point out. But at the same time, look, if we are going to get a send off that is at least on par with something like the Undiscovered Country, you need data there. So yes, I am optimistic, but. Um, Let's move into the fun stuff here. So I want to ask you guys what your favorite item at Daystrom Station is, because there's a lot to choose from. There's too many to really go through, but uh, I'm going to list off the big ones as seen both fully on screen and that we know were created for the archive, according to some of the behind the scenes materials that have been released and the station's entry on memory alpha in my self-determined order of intensity. So first off, Genetically modified attack triple. <laughs> Second, chemocyte, an element that appeared in an episode of Enterprise called the Shipment in DS9's Little Green Men. It was actually the element that allowed the Ferengi to go back in time. And in a Voyager episode called Equinox, the starship Equinox had a store of chemocyte aboard. Uh, next, a self-sealing stem bolt. We actually got a picture of what a self-sealing stem bolt looks like, this long-running gag in DS9. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we at least have a little bit of an idea of what it looks like. A probability device, as seen in the DS9 episode Rivals, where an Elorian 
used it to cheat at gambling at Quark's. Uh, an Ariton android from the TOS episode Return to Tomorrow, which is pretty wild. Uh, Did this, are these the ones it. they made for themselves that didn't inhabit in that episode? Is that what we're yes, talking about? Exactly. Okay. All right. Yeah. So apparently Section 31 has one of those androids, right. uh, as well as the M5 computer or the M5 multitronic unit as developed by Dr. Richard Daystrom uh, in the TOS episode The Ultimate Computer, another great one where – Kirk outlogics a computer and convinces <laughs> it to kill itself. Mm-hmm. Um, a Thaleron radiation generator, the weapon that Shinzon surreptitiously deployed to assassinate the Romulan Senate at the beginning of Star Trek Nemesis. The remains of a Borg queen, I uh, conceivably the Borg queen that was still aboard the Enterprise E when it returned from the past in Star Trek First Contact. A Catan probe from the inner light. I think that's pretty... Uh, you could tell how big of a deal the Catan probe is a Genesis two device. The one that we mm. totally saw on camera section 31, apparently constructed a new version of the Genesis device, whether or not it has proto matter and is just as unstable as the one that Dr. David Marcus made is indeterminate. And the biggest one, at least to me, the remains of James Tiberius Kirk as seen, of course, in Star Trek, the original series, Star Trek, the animated series, the first seven movies, and so far, one episode of Strange New Worlds. So with all that being said, guys, what's your favorite uh, element? What's your favorite artifact from Daystrom Station? Kyle, you seem a little flabbergasted at some of the items that I listed off, but do you have a favorite? I miss the self-stealing Stimbolt in the Catan probe. I'm just really baffled why they why they have both Picard and Kirk's body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh that's worth like, um like they're trying to sepentor this shit, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> like this, there's a t shirt here. It, it's live your life so that when you die your body's top secret. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh probably probably the chemocide or I don't know. It was it was a fun I didn't catch it all. Like I had to I was busy watching Riker. Uh I like he looked at the Genesis device and then like he didn't quite understand. He's like, huh, that's weird. And he <laughs> yes, moved on. He's like, I know, Riker. I know. Um, but I, I, the self-stealing stealing symbol, just because we got so many jokes out of that, I think that's that's cute. Yeah. It's way bigger than I thought it was. At least it looked like it was like the size of a hand. I always thought it was like the size of a bolt. But Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been hearing that my whole life, guy. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Rachel, what was your favorite item inside Daystrom Station? Uh, I didn't notice most of these. So I have to think Some of these it. did not appear directly in the episode, but they were created for it. Um, or at least graphics were made for them. Oh, okay. I, of what I saw, I guess I liked the attack tribble the most. Right. Because yeah. it gave me a nice little chuckle, although I don't know why in the world you would ever genetically engineer an attack trouble. So I gave some thought to that. If you are in Washington, okay. D.C., you can actually there, – there, I don't know if it's publicly viewable, at least anymore, but there is an, a museum in the CIA headquarters where you can see some of the devices that the CIA fashioned as weapons or as listening devices, including what looks like dog excrement. Why would you even think of not uh, – of, of lowering your voice around dog crap? Well, the CIA thought, well, this is a good way to listen to people. So I feel like Section 31 could have reasoned that, no, everyone's going to want to pet a Tribble. Let's target someone who we know loves Tribbles and then sick this thing on it to kill him. 
Yeah, I, but people don't love turtles. Like they're, so I think they're that like they kind of do. I don't know. Maybe they made them reproduce slower as well. I, so. I'm thinking it's a Romulan plot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good default. I think, sure, generally yeah. speaking, is, yeah. it's a Rom- Worf would certainly agree with yeah. you, and he yeah. would without even knowing anything. Um, <laughs> it seems like a real easy way to get into a Jurassic Park situation in yeah, your genetics right, lab. Right. So, yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say no, no. That's a no for me. But <laughs> no, um, boy, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I liked it. It yeah. gave me a chuckle. Zach, what was your favorite item at Daystrom Station? Well, it's a tie, I guess, for me between the Genesis device, which I had, I had suspected that we would see that at some point because the first half of the season was like basically Star Trek two and three just with a TNG cast. <laughs> and I was like, OK, I, I, I see where you're going here. I, we're going to have a Genesis device. There's a mysterious weapon they stole. I, that was on my short list of things it could be. But then they pan over and it's like Captain of the Enterprise. What? <laughs> they have the body of just I mean, this is like my cup here. Kirk is my guy. Right. So I'm like, First of all, what does this even mean? Right? Did, 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 who got him? Like, did Picard? I always thought Picard just didn't tell anybody other than like Spock about that, right? Um, I guess somebody found out and got his body, which good. I'm glad it's not on some abandoned planet at the top of a hill. But why is it not like in a giant, you know, like the Napoleon's, <laughs> you know, style <laughs> museum for Kirk, right? Um, that's what he deserves. But I guess they, I guess they're just trying to make it like we're not going to bring up this Nexus stuff. As far as the public is concerned, he died at Enterprise B. We're not going to worry about it. But just to have his body there, and I thought, you know, all this stuff is like, uh, I don't know, like I don't know. It, it, they did so well. Usually, sometimes this stuff would frustrate me. Like the, I know what that is isms of all this. I'm like, what are you showing us this for, right? Um, but just Kirk being there is like, cool, and also it 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 sets up that they would have Picard's body, which is the payoff at the end. So I think these sure. things are setups yeah. to like a payoff. And when you have, cause if it was just one body, you're like, well, that's weird. And like, Oh, well they had Kirk's body. I guess they have Picard's body. Is this going to lead to anything? I would say, no, there's not going to be a 90 year old William Shatner CGI into a 65 year old William Shatner. who's going to come and fight Picard at the end or anything like that. Although I would love that. That would be amazing. <laughs> and all this, all this made me realize, you know what we're watching now? This, we are watching, Shatner verse Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens books just as as episodes of Star Trek with all this continuity. And I love those books and I think it's great. Now, I again, they're not going to resurrect Kirk or anything, but it's just cool that he's there. And I just I, I just so 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 delightful to see all these things. And that's got to be my choice. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Cicero, how about you? Did you have a favorite? Uh, Genesis device. Um, like, hey, that was cool, right? That was that thing from that movie. Um, uh, <laughs> but, but like, uh, a lot of this stuff I missed the first time around because I'm, you know, I'm watching, I'm, I'm paying attention to the characters and that kind of stuff. I'm gonna watch it again, um, for that stuff, but I'm gonna watch it again probably more intently for the stuff that I'm, I'm assuming that we're going to talk about next or is going to be part of your uh, pedantic con- continuity time, sure. which is all of the ships. Yes. Uh, sorry, Kyle, all of the ships that were at the, at the museum, right. The, at the fleet museum. It was a great because, scene. Because, right. Uh-huh. Because like everything was there, right. There is uh so really close to my house in a town called Volo is a car museum that they've also turned into a 
dinosaur museum, right? <laughs> so there are dinosaurs and cars. Cadillacs in uh, what was that? Uh, what was that show? Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but like uh, you know, but it's this just this place that's an awesome car museum, right? And you can find like meticulously kept classic vehicles there um that you know some were like there's a batmobile you know like a 66 batmobile there and you know all sorts of really really cool stuff and that's what the fleet museum was like it was like oh oh there's an enterprise a and oh there's a bird of prey and wait a minute oh isn't that the one from you know wrath of khan and you know oh what's that oh there's voyager and that's defiant yeah like that's that was super cool so go ahead and talk about that uh, okay. from, you know, I bet Ensign yeah. Kim is still at his post on the Voyager. Yeah, at his station. <laughs> Just preserved in aspic or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. He should get promoted. Watch. They're going to do an episode in the future, and it's going to be Admiral Kim, and people are going to be like, yeah. Admiral Kim. He yeah. went from Ensign to Admiral. I mean, he did enough work. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, but, yeah mine, is, mine is – it's Kirk. I mean, of course it's Kirk because it just like – it was it was nice to see that Kirk is getting acknowledgement, uh, you know, 30 years hence his death, canonically speaking. But also, too, it's just like it feels like such a Section 31 thing to do. Like as soon as they got wind of the idea that his body was on Viridian 3, they went and got it because they're like, this is a guy we thought died who's been gone for close to 80 years and he's been through some sort of anomaly that we don't know something about, but we might be able to use this. So let's study him. Mm-hmm. and figure Look, out what's going on it's also so, that they buried him on a planet right next to a pre-warp civilization as they started right yeah I mean, they would have found an alien skeleton you know ancient aliens would've, they were here yeah ancient <laughs> aliens you know, one thing that i would have liked to see is just like his his badge visible but that's just that's a really yeah just it was a skeleton i was like ah uh, yeah they, they captured him because they were pretty damn afraid his skeleton would suddenly time travel I mean, <laughs> who you know, has anybody read the the uh, the Crucible trilogy uh, of, of Star Trek novels? It's like my favorite Star Trek novels, and the, the whole thing is is predicated on like he. I think it's like a chroniton particle or something. But he has traveled back and forth in time more than anyone else, and so the fact that his body was like like in the Nexus eighty years ago and then today caused a massive space continuum collapse that, of course, he had to solve. Anyway, that's sure, the Kirk yeah. novel of the three. They're all very good. They're all very different. But anyway, that reminded me that he's taking his body. He has, all, you know, he has, who knows what he's been through. So sure, study it. Yeah, of course. And it looked like there were meat on those bones. So it uh, seems like he's, he's preserved. Who knows? Maybe they'll do some wizardry or something and they'll just have Paul Wesley walk out of that. I mean, that would be kind of lame, but they could totally do that. I wouldn't put it past him. But um, no, I mean, it's just it's nice to see that Kirk's greatness is acknowledged because I'm a fan of Kirk as well. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's going to fuel a lot of interesting narrative material outside of the shows at some point. So that'll be fun. Perfect. Um, well, let's, let's move along. So Jack and seven share a moment looking at the ships of the fleet museum with Jack revealing that he has an affinity for starships. They each express their favorites. Jack's being the enterprise a and sevens being Voyager before realizing that one of the ships, the HMS bounty is equipped with a Klingon cloaking device. Jack and the LaForge daughters apparently steal aboard the bounty, steal the device, and install it aboard the Titan, 
which is the device that allows the crew to return to Daystrom Station. So we get some very nice looks and thoughts about a whole host of legendary Starfleet ships, and we will touch on the you know the majority of them in pedantic continuity time. But you know the Enterprise A, the Second Defiant that actually ended the Dominion War, Voyager, and the Bounty, of course. But the one moment here that really punched above the others, at least for me, was Seven's reminiscence about Voyager, since we haven't really heard her mention those days on the episodes that we have seen of her with any degree of fondness. Um, And I don't know about you guys. I know we've touched on the topic before in some of our previous conversations, including with you, Kyle, but it seems like Voyager is having something of a resurgence among Star Trek fans. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're coming around on it like before where it was probably the redheaded stepchild of the franchise. Uh, Now it seems like people are going, well, actually Voyager (laughs) is good. Um, but how did uh, how did this come together for everyone? Cicero, I actually want to go to you first because I think you watched this show most recently in comparison okay. to all of us. So what did this kind of acknowledgement of Voyager, uh, how, did, how did that hit you? Well, it, yeah, it, it hit me in the feels um, appropriately because of my affinity – for Voyager, right? And 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 the, you know, of the camp of, you know, Voyager ain't that bad. You know, I'm I'm definitely part of part of that hashtag. Um it, it also made me think of Sharif Jackson because Voyager is his favorite Star Trek series, um which I think is unique um because not many people say that. Um so uh you know, so so Reef, I got you I got you back, bro. Um but but in addition to that, I think about people like Ryan, right? Who never watched Voyager, right? So, like, those things resonate for me because I've I've got an affinity for the show and it resonates with you and and with you, Kyle, and and with you, Zach, and and even you know, even with Rachel, who who you watched Voyager but didn't watch all of it or did I watch all of it? I think you did. Um, it was a long time ago. I watched all right. of it. I right. I just didn't get into it that much. Right. So like, so when I think about I when I think about people that are watching Picard, right? Those people run the gamut of people that have watched all of the shows, and people that have watched TNG mostly. And but I I I I venture to think that the the majority of the people that are watching this show are people that watch TNG mostly. So talking about Voyager is is just wasted time. It, to the same point of of really delving deep into the the mythos and the canon and the and the 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 storyline threads, the narrative threads that are in this apparently or seem to be in this season that came from DS9. They're tougher for it. It's a harder um, hurdle that the writers have to overcome to get people that only know about TNG to understand the emotional weight of, of the changelings or of Voyager or any of those things because they you have to come in you have to come into the show with with uh a a a level of coursework that we can't necessarily assume that you have as as a 
showrunner, creator, whatever, and you as a viewer? I understand that perspective completely. And I, you know, we talked last week a little bit with when Ryan was on the show about a barrier to entry being too high, you know, at the same time, I disagree with you in this moment, just because it felt like, (laughs) well, yeah, well, (laughs) to me, and I'm certainly not speaking for the rest of the panel, just in terms of me, it felt like it was an efficient way to explain where she was coming from. Sure. While, I mean, just because we, we have gotten really nothing in terms of seven's perspective on Voyager afterward, you know, there's like two mentions, I think of Admiral Janeway. We haven't heard anything about her from Chakotay and maybe some people think that's a good thing, but, um, I felt like it was just an efficient way for for even general fans who might have been only TNG fans to understand what that show was about or at least trying to be about, you know. I can understand that. I can understand that and I agree with that. I mean, yeah. Because like for people who have never watched it, it might seem like kind of a strange distant other Star Trek show, but the way that the scene was written and certainly performed by yeah. Jerry Ryan. Uh, yeah, to it, me, it brought the goods. Yeah, it, it felt like, even if you've never seen an episode of Voyager, like, oh, well, that's her old ship. Oh, she misses that. It, it, right. The scene right. explained yeah. itself, I think. And yeah. for those of us that did go along for the journey with her, it hit harder. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't 100%. know if watching 100%. Voyager is required to understand the... But I get what you're saying. You know, accessibility is a thing that any TV writing writer's room should keep in mind. Right. But at the same time, you know, I think there is a give and take to be had between the two. Sure. But I, totally, I, I can, under, I can definitely understand that. Yeah. Right? And I understand where you're coming from as well. We understand it. Look at that. Yes. Yes. Uh, Zach, what did you make of the, particularly the moment between seven and Jack uh, about Voyager? You know, I think we we were talking about Jack earlier and like, you know, this is the scene where he was like, okay, like this guy, he's I like this guy, you know, that they had a really like they really connected there. And he he repeats something Picard said to him earlier, like we're all looking for a connection. Right. And and then he uses that for on her and and uh, drive by philosophy is such a great term. I'm going to start using now that 709 <laughs> says that, that he gets that from his father. That was a great moment. And, and what could have been again, and what could have been even more egregious than the Daystrom station, like the, I know what that is isms with like, Oh, we're just going to go through all the, we're literally going to push a button with the logo and see the shift and hear the theme. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't bother me. No, I really like it. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I like think it's a good job. <laughs> you, you know, cynical me about this sort of quote unquote fan service. Right. But they, they, but it's wrapped in other important things. It's wrapped in this character moment. It's also mm-hmm. wrapped in the moment of like, they start talking about the cloaking device, which ergo the title of the episode, I thought bounty. Oh, there's going to be a bounty on them because they're fugitives. Right. right I didn't think, right, Oh, the right, HMS okay. bounty from Star Trek four. <laughs> Star Trek four. <laughs> oh man. And I've seen people be like, why didn't they take the cloaking device from the defiant? I'm like, that's the say Apollo. It didn't have his cloaking exactly. device. Okay. Do your Starfleet yeah. history people. So <laughs> I, I had that exact conversation <laughs> with my brother who has not watched DS nine, but he punches above his weight in terms of what he does understand. But I, I had to tell him actually, yeah, it doesn't have one. Yes, you know one thing that I kind of wish was in Daystrom Station though, and nobody cares. This is just me writing my own script. Nobody gives a shit. But I would have liked to have seen the phase cloak from the Pegasus there. Oh, okay, that would have been cool. 
just as a fanboyism. That would be exactly where that would be too. Yeah. Section 31 locker. You would think, Um, you would think that was the only part of that ship that survived, but anyway, glad to hear that it worked for you. Kyle, um, you shared with me like a fan edit that Trek culture put together of some footage, uh, from Voyager spliced in with this. I gather from that, that this scene worked for you. It worked enormously for me. This is my favorite uh, scene in the last, since 2017 of Trek, probably since mm. 2009. Of, uh, this is, mm. you guys remember in First Contact at the beginning when the Defiant shows up and Worf is piloting it or, or captaining it and it's it's coming screaming from DS9 and then like Zimmerman, not Zimmerman, but like uh, the, the holographic EMH shows up and it's like they, they, First Contact grabbed a bunch of pieces from the whole universe that Trek had been yes. building. Yes. Before Marvel. Before that's a thing that franchises were doing. Like that was First Contact is Star Trek at the height of its powers. Thousand that, percent agree. Yeah. There's a new height now. This season is integrating all of this stuff in a new balanced way. And like th- it all culminates in this scene. And mm. it works. You know, it isn't just fan service to show the Voyager. Like you were saying, they connected it to character. It makes total sense when you connect it to character. And mm-hmm. Seven really longing for the f- interpreting that as a longing for family. I've seen this scene on repeat. Jerry Ryan is sp- just spectacularly underrated as an actor. She n- she killed it. She always kills it. But like it was so beautiful just to see her to to do all of that. And this is the moment I really fell in love with Jack Crusher. Uh, cause like he's just an obnoxious brat or something, but it's a, it's a, it's a front. He wants yeah. to connect with his dad the same way his dad wants to connect with people. Like they are two birds of a feather and like the way when Jerry Ryan's like, you know, you're just like your father and the way his head snaps around like that actor choice was like, Oh God, I've been discovered. Or is this true? Like it, it was beautiful. And as a, as a filmmaker, like I don't care about starship battles. I don't care about, you know, fight scenes or whatever. The the test of your metal is if you can put two actors in a space and have them have a conversation. And this was perfect. This was beautiful. It got me so all my doubts are gone. I don't even care what they do with the rest of the show. I'm on the ride. I loved it. I've seen it on repeat like 20 times. I'm crazy. I'm a crazy person. Wow. That's awesome. No, I'm glad. Look, you're you're among friends. This is what this show is for: is to express your love of Star Trek, or you know, in Cicero's case, Captain Shaw and Todd Stashwick, or in Zach and I's case, Captain Kirk. You know, we 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 just express this is a love. This is a love. <laughs> this is a love boat. That's what this kind of is. Uh, well, it's hard to follow that again. But Rachel, what do you think of? Uh, <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> I know it was fine. I mean, I guess I don't, you know, I don't remember Voyager super well since I only watched it once through about 10 years ago. Um, but I, you know, I perfectly understood what was, yeah, what was going on. <laughs> um, and, um, I'm not, I'm also not like a ship person. So I was like, all right, all right, get through the ships, get through the ships. <laughs> um, but I think they made it, they made it nice for those of us who aren't aren't really a ship person by, you know, emphasizing it, it that it is the friends that we we made along the way yeah. and the people who became our family. That's Star Trek, and yeah. giving it the nice like bonding moment between Seven and Jack, and so most yeah, definitely, I, it was very well done to please everyone. Fan service done correctly. Great, 
I appreciate that. That's great. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> we're going a little long on this one and I apologize for that, but I also don't because I think it's awesome. But um, in the interest of observing that not everybody is in the Pacific time zone. I am going to accelerate the pace of the conversation a little bit. We're going to run through the rest of the plot in a very quick fashion. Um, and then we're going to move along to, uh, to, to, to pedantic continuity time. So, um, you know, the bounty was there, which was awesome. I think I can speak for everybody when I say that. In fact, I'm going to speak for everybody. Seeing the HMS bounty, having that as, as the, the substance of the episode title. Perfect. 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 Let's, Let's move along. So um, back at the station, the Titan recovers the away team, but Captain Riker is captured by Vatic before he can make it back to the ship. After re-engaging the Sung type Android M510, quote unquote, data informs them that the item stolen by the changelings was the original dead organic body of Jean-Luc Picard. Riker is brought aboard the Shrike where he seems resistant to Vatic's attempts to interrogate him until he sees that Vatic is holding Deanna Troy, his wife, captive alongside him. So the full primary TNG crew is now on the board. Um, you know, there were so many callbacks in this episode, so many things that happened. I, I feel like this is just like the, the episode that covered the most distance thus far, and we still have a few remaining. So what are everyone's final thoughts on uh, the bounty as an episode of Star Trek Picard, as an example of modern Trek, what comes into your minds? Zach, please lead us off. Yeah. I mean, this is, I think you said it best where the most story has been covered here. I feel like, you know, with all these, with all these, every episode is a chapter of a greater story. There's some episodes that like, you know, you could have, you could have sped this along a little more. Right. And I feel like this episode really, um, wasn't that this episode was jam packed of story and character and, and fan service done in the best way. Again, we were talking about wrapping it in, in, in uh, character moments, wrapping it in story moments. It wasn't just like wa- walking by stuff or like, Oh yeah, I, I recognize that from this, right. Or there was more to it than that. And that, and, and, and fan service gets a bad name these days and this is done right. And that was very important. And, um, you know, the ending note with Riker, I, I got to say, man, Jonathan Frakes, uh, you know, Zaki Hassan said this on Twitter and I, I agree with him. I was like, man, Jonathan Frakes has never been better <laughs> as Riker, yeah. I think. Um, yeah. And just his like, I, and the early, again, it, it calls back to even early season stuff. Like when Riker and Worf used to do stuff like in season two, like, you know, when they're walking around dark hallways, I'm like, oh, man, it takes me back to early TNG. And and um, it's funny how he's like still poking at Worf. He's like, I still see humor as a. <laughs> sense of comfort for you and like the them playing off each other is so it's just so well done and it's uh you used to poke back what yeah. happened to you <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just so good so i don't know like they're i'm picking up what they're putting down uh this is this is hallowed ground to play with these characters and actors again and, you know it's like if you're gonna do this you gotta do it right and and i've been very pleased with it so far and uh this episode was truly the standout they, they've set a high bar now but i mean we're six out of ten episodes in i've liked every single one of them so, um, kind of like you were saying, Kyle, I'm like, well, I mean, I, I do hope it ends well, <laughs> but if, if something goes off the rails horribly, I've enjoyed the journey so far. And I, I do have hope in this creative team and, and all credit to Terry Metalis for, for pulling this all together. Obviously there's a lot of people, uh, involved in the making of this, but, but he's, he's, uh, calling the big shots, uh, as I understand it, as far as the show goes. And, and this was a, a very, very good episode of Star Trek. Yeah. The new Manny Cotto, you might say. Um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, Cicero, your final thoughts on the bounty? 
I love this episode. Um, I love the fact that we got everybody back together. Um, I am, you know, I was able to overlook the hand wavy stuff. I think this was Jack Crusher's best episode uh, as a character. Uh, uh, you know, we got to see a budding uh, romantic side. We got to see um, the redemption of his relationship between him and his father. Right and or in quotes. Father. Oh yeah, okay, okay, uh, okay. right. <laughs> um, and 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 we got to see a version of him that was I'm not going to say more human, but that was not affiliated with anything having to do with Beverly Crusher or having really having to do with. Jean-Luc Picard or it or his his seemingly sordid past in in that conversation that he wound up having with Seven um in in the ship talking about ships and talking about life and and that kind of stuff. So I I think he had a great you know there was a a, a great arc there but but you know but the the thing that I'm going to remember from this episode is everybody getting together or at least being able to being able to watch an episode of of Star Trek and seeing everybody from TNG in the same episode. Um, Pour one out for Denise Crosby, though. I don't think she's going to make it this time. Yeah, well, hey, yeah, yeah. No, I don't. No, I wouldn't no count Denise, that counter out yet. Right. That's true. No Denise Crosby. Michelle Ford. She's getting no better Col- chance to get Denise Crosby. Good point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. No. No Denise Crosby and no Colmini. Mm. Um. But but uh, but we did get everything Absolutely. else, and that's what I'm going to remember most of from this episode. That's a lie. What I'm going to remember most from this episode is Captain Shaw. Fan boying it up uh, when he when he got to meet uh, his idol, what I believe is his idol in Jordy LaForge, and Jordy LaForge responding in kind to him, saying that what he would want to do more than anything is nerd out about the state of his current ship with him, but he can't because he's got this other shit he's got to do. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, great. I, I I had a blast watching this episode. This is exactly what, um, you know, goofy stuff aside, right? It's, it's again, it's just it's just plot grease um, to get us to get us to get us to the end, right? Um, but I'm so happy that we've got everybody together, and and we've got these other people in there uh, to to help along the way. Absolutely, excellent. Thank you, sir. Rachel, final thoughts. Well, I don't have anything new to add. I liked it. Okay. <laughs> um, I I wasn't a huge fan of the last episode. I wasn't. I didn't talk about it with you guys, but I wasn't a huge fan of that episode. So this episode uh, resonated a lot more with me, and I was really mm. happy. Excellent, great, Kyle. Please, the last word on this episode. Uh, this this episode was great. I, I haven't had this much fun in the Star Trek universe uh, since the nineteen nineties. I, when, when they announced discovery was coming to grace our screens, picking the threads up from the 24th century was what I wanted to do. And I'm not a nostalgia guy. I just wanted to keep living in this universe. And I feel like we're living in this universe. And I, 
everything's balanced. It's really fun. And uh, I, I love it. I'm along for the ride. I'm, I, it's my favorite show. And please, please keep doing more. Excellent. Great. I'll just say I liked it too. So, yeah. <laughs> thank you for, uh, for coming along with us. But before we actually dismiss, let's get to a fun time. It's pedantic continuity time. Oh, I love pedantic continuity time. So, of course, you know, several legacy ships appeared in the Fleet Museum. These include an old, quote-unquote, old Constitution-class ship that Captain Picard actually referenced in The Next Generation and when he was talking to Montgomery Scott. He said that a classic Constitution-class is in the Fleet Museum, and we actually see uh, that it is the USS New Jersey, NCC-1975. And Chris, uh, it, it looks like... It does on TNG and D Space Nine and Enterprise. And it doesn't look like it does in Discovery. And there's all the things True. we talked about. You know, we were yeah. geeking out about the appearances. So I could not be more pleased that they kept to the history of the future that I spent my youth memorizing the Star Trek Encyclopedia for. So thank you. Is right. that now yeah. a continuity error? What's or, or some part of that is a continuity error? I don't. I don't. I mean, you could probably argue that it is, although, I mean, we haven't seen how things like I, I assume that we're going to see more and more callbacks to the original production design as Strange New Worlds progresses. Mm -hmm. But we don't know that for sure. But it's certainly an error if you want to compare the cage to mm -hmm. like flashbacks that we had seen in Discovery. Um, but I mean, they're drawing more attention to it, but they kind of don't have any choice at this point. Worf, so, Worf looks like Worf, right? I mean, it's, it's they're yeah, they're right. they're continuing like like you said, Kyle. Like like you're living in the universe, right? This is the universe they established in TNG, and we're continuing on in it. I'm I'm just very like I love the visual things are huge to me, and I love that we're keeping that visual continuity that we had in all the 24th century shows. Although after we had that conversation, Zach, I did think of an instance that did uh, uh, not correlate uh, oh. to what we had seen previously established. It was the first contact. I don't know why I didn't bring it up at the time. Hmm. But Locutus did not look like that in the episode. Well, you know, don't worry about that. That's an yeah, right. yeah, oh, I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. Just let you, it go. You pick your battles, you know. You know, he had the TNG costume on, though. Okay, he had the the card had the but. Fair enough. The Borg did not look like that in 1991. So you those, got me those alcoves looked pretty slick in yeah. comparison to what we got in the best of both worlds. But anyway, no, I'll, anyway, I'll let it slide. Yeah. So uh, the Defiant. Last seen mm. in uh, the episode of Prodigy Supernova Part 1. Uh, of course, the second Defiant, as already laid out by, uh, by Zach there. It was formerly the USS Sao Paulo. The USS Enterprise A. This is the first time we've seen the Enterprise A since Star Trek VI. And mm. that definitely hit me square in the chest. I know you guys aren't, aren't ship people. I'm, I'm kind of a ship person in terms of Star Trek, especially mm -hmm. classic Matt Jeffries designs, or at least Matt Jeffries descended designs. I love seeing the Enterprise A. I was very, very happy. To see I it too am a Constitution man, Chris. I too am a Constitution man. Exactly. Thank you, sir. Yeah, most definitely. And and it's in good shape too. Jordy takes good care of it. They patched so, up that uh, torpedo hole, you know. <laughs> yeah, of course. Hey, you got hey, that's a pretty big hole. You yeah. got to you, you got to repair it. Um, Voyager, of course, last seen in Endgame, also looking pretty good. And the HMS Bounty, last seen in Star Trek Four. So the ships not specifically featured that are apparently in the wide shot of all of them together. The NX-01 Enterprise with a refit star drive section that we mm -hmm. never saw it yet in the series. So Memory Alpha says the last time we saw Enterprise was in These Are the Voyages, but did we? Because <laughs> who 
pretty sure that we actually saw it last in Terra Prime because the one in These Are the Voyages was apparently a, a blatantly historically inaccurate holodeck simulation. Yep. Can't trust so, those holodeck simulations. Yeah. You really can't. Uh, the USS Excelsior was also there, last seen in the Voyager episode. Were you hoping that was Enterprise B, though? I mean, kind of. Are we Are we just yeah. going to keep that mystery of like what happened to it going forever, I guess? Huh? Maybe. You know what? Maybe they repurposed it to patrol the Sol system. That's what will be in, in in my head. They, they could totally do that. Uh, the Stargazer, last seen in TNG's The Battle, the original Stargazer. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it was like a Katinga class. I thought it was a D7. Mm. Uh, Kronos 1 from Star Trek Ooh. 6. Chancellor Gorkin's flagship is apparently there, as well as a uh, uh, the USS P- Pioneer that was not seen. And we also saw an Akira class, Miranda class, Nebula class, Saber class, and a Romulan bird of prey that looked like it was circa 23rd century. Yeah. But like, what's the story there? Maybe we'll find out in Strange New Worlds. That would be kind of cool. Mm. Or, well, I guess we can't. But oh no, you maybe, can. Yeah. Well, I don't know, Chris. They're, they're... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Wait, we'll, see. we'll see what happens. I don't know. This is pedantic continuity time. That's the, that's the fun of it. Um, in Riker's personnel file, it confirms that he was born on August nineteenth, and we actually have his mother's name. His mother's mother's name is Betty C. Riker. So we uh, know that she was probably the good one, since Riker's dad is kind of a dick. Mm. Um, and then when Moriarty plays Pop Goes the Weasel for Riker, Worf, and Raffi, it's being played on a violin, which is itself another reference to Data. So that's pedantic continuity time. A uh, lot of fun stuff. A lot of lot of meat on the bone for Star Trek fans. Uh, Thank you guys so much for being a part of this episode. Kyle and Zach, we really appreciate you being a part of this, uh, finding time to, to come aboard our tough little ship. Absolutely. Uh, Zach, where would you like to direct people to find you and your work? Well, yeah. Well, first of all, uh, Chris, thanks so much for having me on. This was a blast. I have not flexed the Star Trek podcasting muscles in a long time. I, uh, I, I was the host of, as you mentioned, just standard robot on Trek FM. Me, me and Ken Tripp are partners in crime over there for over 150 episodes. And we had a great time talking about all things related to the original series and whatnot. And uh, he he is an old school kind of Trek fan. TOS was his show, and TNG was my show. So we, we really complement each other well. So, so you know, for, if you're looking for some more Star Trek content outside of Discovery Debrief, of course, go check out that backlog over there. Uh, but uh, this this is so much fun. Uh, thanks for having me on, and I really appreciate it. And we've become friends and fandom over the last few years, and it's great that I could finally be on your show here. And uh, as for me, though, always Smallville with one S on Twitter is the place to find me. Always swollen to Smallville is the podcast. Uh, we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show uh, that ran from 2001 to 2011 on the WB and the CW. That's my intro, and that's what it's all about. And we talk about all kinds of other Superman-related tangential things. And Chris and I had an episode on the Superman 78 comic book, for example, not too long ago. And uh, it's just, you know, DC Comics is just a never-ending wealth of, of topics. But, but that's the primary focus, and we have a little offshoot shows and, and whatnot, too. But that's the hub of everything and, and where to find me and my podcasting life. Appreciate it. Thank you. And you know what? You mentioned the WBCW. Uh, it got me thinking earlier that I didn't mention. What if the WB was the network of Stranger Things? Would all the actors be 30? <laughs> they would, yes. Right. <laughs> I mean, they might be. Right? 25 year old, you know, 11 in season one or something. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's that aromatic <laughs> syndrome, you know? That's <laughs> every time. Oh, you. <laughs> Kyle, before I throw it to you, I have to mention to you guys, my brother texted me this batshit crazy theory that I think is kind of is awesome, actually, that I want to run by you guys. Uh, he thinks that they mentioned Eremotic Syndrome because it has overclocked Jack's brain and they stole Picard's body to try and recreate a new Locutus in Jack, which is why they want him. 
Whoa. That's a lot of left turns there. I uh Wow. I thought I had some far fetched ones. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know what to expect, oh, so that's as good yeah. as theory as any, oh, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I, I don't think it. don't go to the Borg again though. I'm just I won't. the Borg <laughs> and the changelings. Yes. Together. Together. Right? Borglings. I, I wanted to put that on the record. Oh my god. My brother you his heard brain it here first. In a fascinating way. So I just I wanted I'm, I'm glad I got to see that reaction. That's priceless. Uh <laughs> Kyle, yes. where can people find you? I am uh at trexpertise.com where I continue to labor extremely slowly on uh the next essay is a Captain Kirk essay. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Deep dive on the the man, the myth, and the redacted skeleton. Um <laughs> which now I have to now I have to change the essay. Great. Yeah. Now you're knitting. Oh, Chris yeah, and I now, both immediately perked up at that. You're like, Kirk, I'm like, hmm. So, uh, you'll right. love it. You'll love it. Um, other than that, I'm online and I'm, a, I'm, I'm shooting and editing and I'm just here hopeful that Goldicott is the bad guy of Picard season three. We will find out. Oh, that's still a question in my mind. I wouldn't, I wouldn't fight against it. I'll just say that much. Well, thanks again, guys. Really appreciate you taking the time. I think this one was a lot of fun. Uh, But that is going to do it for episode 90 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute. And let us know if you wrote one, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes, and be sure to join us next time as we discuss the next adventure of our friends from the Enterprise D&E. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. (laughs) 